Hey friends, welcome back to the rest of the sermon, Confessions of a Pastor. If you would like to uh, see or experience the worship service that precedes this episode, as always, you can follow the link in that will be provided in the show notes. I will admit it was uh, a tougher sermon for me to preach than I anticipated um, from a standpoint of, of, of honestly just trying to um, be completely honest uh, and uh, vulnerable, if you will, to take a stand. And to say, listen, this is this is what I believe. This is what I think we're called to do. What we're called to be, uh, and it's things that I've talked about here on the podcast, but I haven't necessarily said it directly uh, from a pulpit. So uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't if you haven't seen that uh, that uh, service, to take a look. Um, I would also encourage you, uh, just right off the bat, that if you find meaning or worth out of these episodes, if they are something that brings uh, something to you, whether that be food for thought or something to uh, argue with me about or something to think about later on, I would encourage you to share these episodes with uh, folks that you know that you care about. Uh, and maybe, who knows, maybe a dialogue can spark up there or maybe you would uh, share this with someone who would become a new listener. So I uh, definitely would like to grow the community, grow this podcast a little bit uh, and open the dialogue up a little bit more than just me. However, uh, today it is just me uh, talking with you and talking about another topic uh, or a continuation of a topic that we've been talking about quite a bit, uh, pr- mainly because it's something that, that's, that's heavy on my mind, on my thoughts. Um, and I, I think in some ways it's, things, it's, it's stuff that's unavoidable. Uh, we are in an election cycle. We are experiencing uh, great division in our country. Um, we are experiencing uh, a time for uh, folks who who seek justice, uh, especially uh, on the grounds of race and racial justice, and throughout the history of our, our country, we're in a time when that is being highlighted, um, and perhaps voices are being heard that that normally uh, would be swept under a rug or at least pushed into a back room. And so, it's a great time to be alive in some ways. In other ways, it's a very painful time to be alive because. Along with all of that comes, like what I mentioned earlier, division. And uh, we still, whether folks want to admit it or not, are living uh, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, a pandemic that uh, at least uh, we as a country have mishandled uh, greatly. And there's a lot of contention about that statement. There's folks that probably uh, disagree with that statement, and that's okay. Um, I just, uh, I think that, that numbers bear that out. Um, we are in a week where this Friday, I believe it's this Friday. Uh, well, what's today? Today is Wednesday and today is the ninth. Uh, and so, yes, it'll be this Friday is September 11th, uh, which is a day obviously that, uh, is very significant, has been significant since 2001. Uh, it'll be the 19th anniversary of the attack uh, on our country, on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, and uh, of course the plane that went down in Pennsylvania. Uh, as is kind of custom for me, I spent some time this week leading into that uh, remembering. Um, I was a first-year student uh, at seminary when the attacks happened. I remember sitting already in my first class. It was the first day of class uh, for us, uh, and we were in class together um, actually, that's not true. It was not the first day of class. It was probably the second week of class or so, but it was my first class of the day. That's really where I was trying to get to. 
And uh, we were talking about Old Testament stuff, you know, nothing like starting your morning off uh, with a little bit of Old Testament uh, history and understanding and uh, looking at the Hebrew and, uh, you know, doing your own translations and whatnot. And someone walked in and whispered in the professor's ear and uh, her face uh, went pale and she looked at us essentially and said, everybody, you need to go home. Uh, And so... I, being a first-year student, I was not married yet, was engaged to my now wife, who was finishing up her uh, fifth year at uh, Kentucky Wesleyan, where we went to college. I was in Louisville. She was in Owensboro in Kentucky. And uh, so I didn't have, like, home to go to. So I went to my dorm room. Uh, And I remember as I was walking back to my dorm room, I saw a crowd of people in the, uh, the student center where the cafeteria was. And it's the only kind of place where there was a big communal uh, place to gather where there was a television. And you could barely see in the door. Uh, there were so many people gathered in there. So I thought, well, what's going on? So I went and watched, walked over there, uh, and essentially walked into that room in time to look at the TV and watch the second plane hit the second tower. At this point, of course, I'm uh, realizing this is not good. Uh, this isn't uh, something that's normal. And so I head on over the three or four more minutes it would take me to get to my dorm room and get the television turned on. And uh, I remember picking up my phone uh, and calling my mom. And uh, I got some news from my mom that was a little troubling. Uh, another reason I'll always remember that date. I'm not going to go into that detail here. But it just kind of compounds everything that happened and everything that followed. Um, I remember essentially classes being canceled for the rest of the day. However, students and professors were gathering all over the place on the campus just talking about what was going on. And so classes were canceled, but in a lot of ways, education was happening uh, probably more so than what would have happened on a normal day. I say all that to say that... uh, This week is normally a a time when I'm reflective anyway. And I think back on September 11th and the the lessons we learned, what we saw about our country, about our, our people, and how quickly we came together. And I say that as well to say there were around a little less than 3,000 people that died that day and how significant that felt. And I, I use all of this to preface that that many people are dying in our country every three days due to COVID. And so whether we want to admit it or not, we are in the middle of a pandemic, a national crisis. And somehow, instead of us, instead of us rallying together, we have found it more fitting to take sides, to root ourselves in a camp. Instead of when we lose 3,000 Americans, we say, this is awful. And, and part of that is because it, it came from an outside force, right? I mean, that that's, was the unifying factor. I get it. But, but this is a unifying, or this is an outside force, too, if you think about it. It's a disease. It didn't come from here. And I'm not going to call it the, the, you know, the country disease where it came from or anything like that. Okay, whatever. That's just more division, and it's unnecessary. Instead, what I want to talk about, uh, something that we have been harping on, I have been harping on, I should say, uh, for a few weeks now, is this, again, asking the question, so what do we do when we find ourselves, when we find ourselves rooted in this division, rooted uh, in our own camp, taking sides, what do we do? How do we break out of these cycles? 
And so I want to talk with you today just a little bit about what I think some of those solutions look like. We've talked in the past about uh, leaning into what God has called us to do, this greater assignment, this greater opportunity that God has put before us, which is to love our, our neighbors, to love our enemies even, but to be an agent of love, to be a standard bearer of love, to, to bring light into darkness, to shine light where, where, where darkness uh, resides and to, to banish the darkness. We've talked about all of these things, and um, I, I do not uh, uh, back away from, from that kind of stance. But one of the things, if you go back and listen to the sermon, one of the things that I think is, is so important that comes from this message, and it's something that, that over the last week or so I've become far more committed to, uh, intentionally committed to, I should say, purposely committed to, than I ever have been before. And that is creating a space here on, on earth, creating a space here that reminds us, that resembles, that looks like what heaven will look like. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, isn't that you know, what all of us are trying to do? And I would honestly say, well, I hope so, but I think that we all fall short. And that's a, an easy answer to say. It's an easy thing to, to put out there. But I think that, that that kind of a goal, unless we're purposeful about it, unless we're intentional about it, unless we really stop and think, well, what does heaven look like? Because I'm convinced, I'm convinced that no matter how progressive, no matter how forward thinking you may think yourself to be, when we get to heaven, we're going to be very surprised. We're going to be very surprised by what it looks like. Because I think we have these ideas of what the type of person that is going to be in heaven, what they, what they look like, what they stand for, what they stood for. And, and I just have this sense that, that for some strange reason, maybe God's plan is a little bigger than, than you or I consider. Maybe God's way of seeing is a little bit broader than, than you or I are capable of. And I've just got a funny, that, that, uh, a funny, I just got a funny feeling that we're all going to be a little surprised about what heaven looks like. And so if we're going to be honest and if we're going to be intentional about trying to create a space on earth that looks like heaven, we have to be willing, we have to be willing to let people in. And, and when I say let people in, I mean let people that aren't like us in. Whether that's by race, whether that's by creed, whether that's by sexuality, whether that's by, you know, pick your hot topic, <laughs> your hot topic that divides us, that we put boxes, we put people in the, uh, these boxes and says, this is who you are. This is the category that you fall under. So this is how I define you. I got a funny feeling that God has a different way of defining us. And so what would it happen? What would it look like? If our churches maybe, instead of being filled with boxes, instead of being filled with definitions, instead of being filled with our ideals, instead we're consumed with God. What if we really embraced what it is that we say, which is that every human being is created in the image of God, by God, like, did you catch that part? It's not just that we're created in the image of God, but we're created by God. We are all God's creation. And if that's true, if that's true, 
then I got to be careful what I think about my brother or my sister, not literal brother. (laughs) Don't worry, uh, Ron, I'm not thinking bad things about you. But I got to be careful what I think about that person who posts something on Facebook that I just vehemently disagree with. I got to be careful how I want to respond when someone says something that I think is just filled with bigotry and hate. I got to be careful what my first inclination is when someone wants to pick a fight with me or an argument with me about something I said on a Sunday or on a Wednesday on a podcast, right? Because whether I agree with them or I disagree with them, the truth remains that they are created in the image of God by God. And so if we want to really create, recreate what heaven looks like here on earth, It's going to be with people we don't agree with sometimes. It's going to be with people we don't like sometimes. It's going to be with people that don't look like us, think like us, act like us, speak like us. And so is that something we really want to do? I can tell you uh, with as definitively as I've, I've ever said anything, that's something I'm committed to do. I'm committed as a pastor to say, you know what? I think I understand what God has called me to do. One, to to shepherd, to lead, uh, to care for a flock. Uh, I will never claim to be a visionary. I will never claim to be a prophetic voice. I will never claim uh, to do a lot of things that uh, that other pastors may proclaim to do. That's just not where I see my strengths. I, I believe my strengths are in relationships and in caring for people, in listening, and understanding, trying to at least. I have a lot of faults. I, I, won't, uh, I won't dance around that one bit. But I think one, one thing that, and I don't even think, I know that one thing that I'm now committed to, more so than I've ever been, is to say, we, we've got to figure out, we've got to figure out how to do this church thing. So I just did this uh, series through Micah, if you, if you, not Micah, through Malachi, sorry. If you look back a few podcasts, you can find the, the episodes where we were talking about that. And, and my Sunday school class that I teach, uh, we're studying in Isaiah right now. And it's amazing to me, and it's something I've, I've thought about before, obviously, but, you know, the prophets and, and, and what it was that they, they said to the people essentially was, you guys got to get this figured out. You got to straighten up. God has, has laid it out real plainly before you what, what he requires, what he expects from you, and you're just going through the motions. And I wonder how much of that plagues our churches today. We get in arguments about carpet. We get in arguments about music. We get in arguments about all kinds of things that don't really matter. And sometimes we get in arguments about theological issues. Sometimes we get in arguments about what we think God thinks is okay. And it's interesting to me that we're the ones trying to decide what God thinks is okay, like we have any idea what that is to begin with. Which is why I, I, I always tend to err on the side of love. Because if there's one thing that I know or understand, it's that God stands on the side of love. How do I know that? Because I read what Jesus' life was all about. I read the examples that we have of Jesus. And there's no way to argue with that. And so if we're, we're honest with one another and we really want to do church in a way that, that brings heaven on earth, we've got to be willing to put all these other things aside. We've got to be willing to say the most important thing 
The most important thing in life is God. Period. Full stop. It's become popular at times to talk about things like priorities and to order people's priorities or have your, your own priorities ordered. In the therapy world, one of the things we, we were taught or, or we think about are, are, again, kind of priorities. You know, uh, your relationship with your spouse should be the most important uh, human relationship that you have. Next up, if you have children, would be your relationship with children. For some folks, things get out of whack. They start favoring their relationship with their child over the relationship they have with their spouse, uh, or arguments start, uh, you know, arriving or, or uh, um, uh, coming out of these difficulties or disagreements about parenting because one person values that relationship with the child more. So you see what I'm saying. And so we have this relationship with our spouse, the relationship with our children, the relationship with our ex, you know, extended family, and then our relationship with friends, and then our relationship with work. And it's real easy at, at, at many points in our lives for that balance to get out of whack, those priorities to get out of whack. And, and you see the chaos that ensues until we get that equilibrium back and, and the balance gets restored. But for many of us, we don't ever think about where that relationship with God comes or we just assume, yeah, of course, that's the most important thing. But how are you cultivating that relationship? How are you showing, not only showing, but how are you making that relationship the most important thing? Something to think about. How many of you who are couples out there have date nights? How many of you who are couples who have children have date nights? Where you have somebody come in and watch the kids. How many of you, if you're like my family, uh, we do things every now and then called forced family fun time. Uh, what that means is, whether you like it or not, all three children, you're going to come along and we're going to do this together. In other words, we put time, we put effort into cultivating these relationships. Outside of Sunday morning, how much time do you put into cultivating your relationship with God? And is it fair? Is it fair to think that your relationship with God would grow and would be the number one priority if you're not dedicating any time to that? Does that work in any other aspect of your life? My hunch is that it probably doesn't. And so if we're going to be a church that says we want our church to look like heaven on earth, we have to be a people that first and foremost are about God and that God is our priority. One of the ways as a church we've tried to cultivate this, this uh, atmosphere, this um, culture is by saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out a Bible reading plan. And you can join us. You can do your own Bible reading plan if you want to. It's not a necessity, obviously. I don't have uh, some key to the kingdom that says, all right, you're supposed to be reading this book, this verse today, right? I don't have that. I'm just putting some stuff together uh, with the hopes that, hey, if enough of us are reading it, we can have some conversations around it. And I might even hint at it here and there. You might catch some references here and there if you're reading along with us. And one of the things I talked about when I was encouraging the church to join in our most recent effort, this started about three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago now, we started reading through the Gospel of Luke. And if you'd like to join with us, uh, we're actually, uh, let's see, today we are reading chapter 20, I believe it is in Luke. Tomorrow will be 21. Friday would be, nope, that's wrong. Today we're reading 21. Tomorrow would be 22. Friday would be 23. Saturday would be 24, which wraps up the, the, the Gospel of Luke. And then next Monday, we're going to be starting in the book of Acts. And so Monday through Saturday, you'll be reading one chapter of Acts a day. And then 
Sunday, you come to church. We, we'll be talking about something different. Monday, you pick back up with the next chapter. That's, that's the format. It's not hard. But it is, it is important, I think, to have a format, to have a plan, to have a reason why you're doing what you're doing. And, and it's something I hadn't really considered. I, I used to be one of those people that would say, well, you know, just pick up the Bible and read. You know, just, I mean, reading is better than not reading at all, right? And then somebody pointed out to me, you don't read any book like that. So why would you read the Bible like that? And I thought, you know what? You're right. I, I don't pick up the latest, uh, this is a bad example. I was going to say the latest copy of uh, or edition of Harry Potter. That's been long gone for a long time. But I don't pick up book seven of Harry Potter and flip to a page and say, yep, I'm going to start reading here today. If I'm going to read that book, I start at the beginning and I read with a purpose all the way through the story. And the Bible is no different. And maybe that's one thing where we, we mess up is not realizing that the Bible is a story. It's a story, and it covers the arc of creation and humanity and God's involvement with us. God's infatuation with us. And it's what really demonstrates to us this need for us, the the impetus for us to love one another. I I talk about this a lot, and and part of it is that I assume that, that people are on the same page. Perhaps they are, perhaps they're not. Okay, I'm, I'm rambling. I apologize. I want to circle back around to the point of, of what we're talking about today. Heaven on earth. Creating a space on earth that looks like heaven. Being willing to let go of our own uh, need to be right. Our own selfishness. Our own understandings. And to say... I got a funny feeling God has a broader perspective than I do. And so I need to be willing to engage in a level that encourages someone else. So here's what this looks like played out in, in practical terms, okay? If you've stuck with me this long, I, I'm glad. I encourage you stick with me for a few more minutes because here's, here's where I'm going to get really practical. Here's something that I've committed to do, uh, and, and I haven't started it yet because I didn't want to start doing it until after I recorded this podcast. I, uh, I know it's crazy, and it may sound really weird, but I have a, a, an eclectic group of people that I follow uh, on, or I'm friends with on Facebook. Uh, some, some are folks I went to high school with, some are folks I grew up with, some are folks I met in seminary, some are folks that uh, have been members of churches that I've worked with in the past, some are former co-workers, you get the point. They come from all different walks of life, all across the country, all, you know, serve in different ways and have a very, very uh, wide range of opinions. And the worst thing I found that I can do is click on that little button or that little little thing down there that says comments. But I'm going to start doing that a little bit more often because here's what I'm going to I'm committing to doing. I'm committing to entering into comments, entering into discussions to simply say one thing and and to steal the phrase from Toby Mac. Let me give credit where credit is due. I think it is so important that in today's times and these times in today's uh, world and the world where we find ourselves so divided that we speak life, speak life. And what does that mean? I mean, I want us to be affirming people. I want us to, to be people that, that are willing to wade into tumultuous waters to bring calm, at least to try. 
I want us to be willing that instead of engaging in the argument, we're willing to say, why are you angry? Let's back up a minute. Why, why are you angry? Is it that you don't feel heard? Is it that you don't feel valued? Is it that you don't feel... Or is it that you just think these other people are so moronically dumb that they don't understand where you're coming from? At which point, is it that you're prideful? Is it that you can't find room to love someone else in your own heart? I, I want to know the why, though. And I want to speak life into that. I want to try to, instead of ending the argument by being right, I want to figure out how do we calm the waters? How do we cease the waves? Jesus, in the midst of the storm, comes up from underneath the, the, the deck where he is sleeping. And the disciples, four of which are fishermen, are freaking out because of how bad the storm is. And he says, peace be still, and the water's calm. And these disciples don't have a clue what to make of this. I wonder what would happen if we waded into the stormy comment section and said, peace be still. I wonder if people would know what to do. I wonder if there were people in the world that were dedicated to speaking life instead of speaking division. I, I, wonder what, I wonder what would happen. I wonder if people would know what to do. I wonder if our main purpose became valuing one another and hearing and listening to one another as opposed to being right. I wonder if people would know what to do. Honestly, I wonder what the church would look like if we spent more time speaking life instead of speaking judgment. If we spent more time speaking life instead of adding to the division. I wonder if people would know what to do. If we made church more about a place of, for acceptance and less about a place for hmm, proving, <laughs> proving you belong. I, you don't need to prove anything to me. Are you kidding? Before I can ask you to prove anything to me, I better figure out how to prove myself, and I, I don't know how to do that. I can't deserve what God has given. So I'm curious, what would happen if, if a group of people banded together and said, you know what, at least in our small sphere, at least in our small uh, circle of influence, we're going to speak life. We're going to speak encouragement. We're going to speak inclusion, affirmation. Instead of judgment and dis division and dissent and hate. The message isn't that different from what we've been talking about. <laughs> this is still a message about love. I hope you hear that. But it goes a step further. It goes a step further into admitting, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong sometimes too. And that's okay. Because I don't have to be right. There's no value in me being right. What do I gain? The answer to that question, by the way, it's rhetorical, but the answer is nothing. I don't gain anything from being right. But I do gain something. I do gain something from speaking life. I do gain something from being God's representative on this planet. I do gain something by creating with God. It's not me that's going to be able to do this. It's God working through agents like myself and other folks being willing to put their own pride and their own, uh, their own self-inflated ego aside and to say, we've got to be bigger than this and inviting others to come along. I think there is value in creating a space where people feel, feel comfortable and welcome and heard. <clears throat> 
and affirmed. And I think we have to create that, create that place for everyone, not just for people that agree with us. So often that's my temptation. I love being a shepherd for sheep that listen. <laughs> I love being a shepherd for sheep that want to go where I want to go. It's really hard when one of them wants to go some other direction. It's hard on the shepherd. A lot harder on the sheep, especially when there's only one. What if all of us sheep and the shepherd gather around together and say, hey, let's go that way. Let's talk about it. So this week, I I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think about, dream about, envision what heaven on earth might actually look like. And when I say envision it, I mean don't look at it through with your eyes. Think way bigger than anything you can comprehend or come up with. And imagine what it would look like if you and I and your neighbors and your church neighbors and your family and your friends. What if all of us started speaking life instead of division? What if all of us started speaking acceptance instead of rejection? What if all of us started speaking love? What would that look like? I think it'd be pretty glorious. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining me this week for the rest of the sermon. If you've got any feedback or comments that you would like to leave with me or send me, you can send those to the rest of the sermon at gmail.com. I'd love to hear them. I'd love to engage in, in dialogue. I would love for you to share this episode and other episodes with friends. I'd love to grow this community, to build this community a little bit. Because imagine, again, what the world might look like if there were a people that were being intentional, that were being purposeful, to speak life, to bringing heaven on earth, to, to, to realizing this is bigger than you and our, you or I, and that the number one thing, the number one priority either one of us have is just to be who God has created us to be, which is to be an agent of God, which is to, to speak the gospel and to share that good news. I'm done preaching, I promise. Thanks for joining. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Hope you'll share it with a friend. Until next time. God bless.